Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. Welcoming on to the show, Jacob Ammerman, video coordinator for Johnny Dawkins' UCF Knights. Jacob, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on this. Before we get into the specifics of what we're planning to talk about today, uh, I get the sense sometimes that people think video coordinator means a guy who sits in a dark room and puts together video edit during the season, but surely there's more to it than that, right? Yeah, it's kind of a jack of all trades. It's a, it's a lot more than that. And really any, any position on a support staff, uh, same with director of ops, you think, oh, they're just planning travel and doing stuff but no you're kind of doing it all what does work look like for you in the off season this time of year is a time of year where a lot of well usually this year's a little different but usually recruiting is the big key uh you got guys leaving out they could be graduating or transferring uh so you're trying to get a lot of video on guys uh that you're interested in that are in the ncaa portal so really kind of communications key with the uh, staff kind of who we want to recruit give videos of the recruits and then it's it's uh, getting videos to the recruits of our campus uh, stuff with our culture um, maybe our style of play our offense uh, just making them feel comfortable uh, with UCF and they can kind of get a vision you know before they would come visit of what to expect on the visit uh, outside of video, it's a lot of offensive stuff you're trying to put in your system. Uh, you're trying to see what pieces you have for next year, the talent, and what that talent would do well offensively. So you're looking at stuff that you can, can kind of envision uh, them running. So you're looking at other teams' offenses, whether it's college, uh, NBA, sometimes FIBA. Uh, we've even looked at high school stuff. If we found stuff during the season that maybe we saw we liked, uh, but it's really a lot of the offensive stuff and recruiting. Uh, outside of that, it's it's kind of prepping already for the season, so you know kind of who you're gonna play. So you can already do kind of the little detail stuff per game. So like slides of players that you would use in your scouting videos, you can go ahead and do those. It's it's really it's really kind of a lot of different stuff. There's a, over the summer, there's a lot of different events, whether it's with the donors. So you're doing all, all kinds of little things that just pop up that kind of prepare you for the, the season that uh, is coming up. You talked about the offense. So I do want to talk mostly about that today. Uh, how has your philosophy on offense been shaped over the years, not just by the staff staffs that you've worked on, but even maybe by things that you've done scouting-wise, watching film of other opponents? Well, uh, it's obviously it's changed a lot because, you know, when you're a young guy getting in, you know, you want your offense to look, like, amazing, and you want it to be so sophisticated, and you want the actions to look incredibly hard to guard, which is, you know, that's what you want. Uh, but really my philosophy's change is I love to kind of set up my offense uh, within the personnel that I have. You know, sometimes you have guys that are better coming off screens or guys that, you know, are better one-on-one guys. So I, I like my offensive kind of philosophy is kind of 
making sure the talent that we have is put in the right positions. And then also simplicity is really big for me. I don't don't want a complicated set for our guys to run. It's one thing to have, if you have the personnel for that, and some teams do, some teams really have that kind of personnel that can do 10 different actions and the shot clock. And that's, like I said, if you can do it, do it. Cause it's really, it is, it is hard to guard. It's hard to guard multiple actions when the ball swings side to side. But really that's one thing that's really changed for me is uh, simplicity. And, you know, I'm a big guy, you know, I'm a big set guy. I don't really believe in motion as much which is kind of different than a lot of people. Obviously, I would have an emotion on certain, you know, certain times of the game or the shot caught, you know, gets low and you want to get into something. But I'm a big quick hitter guy. And if you don't have that quick hitter, um, kind of get the ball in your best player's hands and set a ball screen or, or try to score that way. I'm a big possession by possession kind of guy. So, As you watch other teams play, what would you say – teams that you all play against that are heavily sets maybe some that are conceptual offense others maybe just some sort of continuity offense what what are you seeing or how are you seeing the game change or what what's what are currently coaches using really what you see is the teams that have a lot of talent or a lot of pros in college they don't really run much they kind of let their guys hoop if uh, that makes sense. They'll run some actions, but it's really getting the balls in the, uh, those guys' hands. Like even, for example, Duke last year, uh, we played them, and they didn't really run much. They ran like a quick hitter to kind of get the ball in Zion's hands or Cam Reddish's hands, and then they kind of played. Um, if you have that much talent on your roster, you don't, you don't need a lot because they're going to get it done regardless. That's that's one big thing, obviously, you notice. And there's teams that are really good, too, that do run a lot of quick hitters kind of like I like. And they run, them, they run them with pace. For example, Houston from last season or two years ago now with uh, Corey Davis and Armani Brooks, two big-time shooters in that offense, they ran a quick hitter almost every time down. But what made them different is they sprinted everywhere all their cuts were sprints they screened uh, which is surprisingly very uncommon in college basketball right now good screen all that stuff is really hard to guard that's kind of two different aspects of what I see and a lot of teams there is teams that do like dribble drive where you have five ball handlers obviously now because bigs bigs are kind of different kind of turning into that NBA a little bit where the big can kind of put on the floor so you see kind of more dribble drive where everybody's kind of lifted and, you know, you get the ball, you try to make your move, and if you can't go, you just give it up kind of thing. So uh, those are just some of the things I've seen lately. It, I mean, it turns into really um, like us from two years ago when we had Taco and we had B.J. Taylor, Aubrey Dawkins, um, Chad Brown. So there's four pros right there. You know, we – we kind of let them hoop a little bit, but we did we did run some sets. But our guys, I felt like, in my opinion, we were really good when things just kind of broke down. 
and they were good enough to to score. I mean, they were good enough to get to the bucket. If we didn't make a shot, it seemed like we were getting an offensive rebound and putting it up. And that that all, I mean, a lot of times basketball IQ comes into play with that. What's a good shot? What's a bad shot? It seems like when you take a good shot, uh, kind of good things happen with with the offensive rebound and stuff like that. And it seems like when you take a bad shot, the other team's gonna come down and score it. So uh, it's just just little stuff like that. I think a lot of us would like to be able to just have our kids hoop because of the talent level being a little bit higher, but obviously we don't all have that. So let's talk uh, designing effective play, some of those quick hitters, those ideas you were talking about. What are some, maybe some general tips for designing an effective play? I know you've mentioned some of them side to side, multiple actions, but you know, for a coach that's thinking about um, installing more or coming up with some more for their team, what should they look for? So a big thing for me is obviously I keep mentioning your personnel. So with personnel, you obviously have shooters, you have guys that can handle the ball, you have some bigs, but what you need to do is you need to ask them and then stat them over the summer of where the best spots on the floor that they're capable from. You need to stat all that, whether they like coming from the – they like to shake up from the left corner, the right corner. Like you need to, you need to staff their footwork. Is is my best shooter? Does he like to pivot this way, or does he like to pivot this way into a shot? And once you kind of figure those things out, like is is my point guard? Does he score it better going right, or does he score it better going left? Is he a better passer going this way? All those things matter uh, when I put in what I want to run. So. Uh, I want to put my guys in the best position uh, where they can be successful. So all those things kind of matter. Like we had a player, Matt Williams, who played with the Miami Heat, um, excellent shooter, probably the best shooter I've ever seen. He made 126 threes in one year, uh, UCF his last year, which is incredible. He was right-handed, but he liked to come out of the right corner, and he liked to pivot right to left and shoot, which is kind of unusual. So we would put him in that position, and he he was amazing. Just little things like that that you don't think matter, but really all the small detail stuff like that for shooters or uh, the stuff that players feel comfortable with, all that kind of stuff matters, um, if that makes sense. And and once you fig- once you figure those things out, then it's kind of figuring out how you want to get into your sets like what what do you want your alignment to look like do you want a horns package do you want iverson uh do you want to run zipper actions it's just kind of little stuff like that and then once you figure out those actions i'm a big believer in having a play for each guy in that package so i'm gonna have a a scoring opportunity for each position one through five and once i have those five sets then I feel pretty comfortable. But one thing I'm a huge believer on is alignment. I want my alignment to always be the same within my package. So if I'm running horns, I want my five man to always be in that same place when I run a horn set. I'm a big believer in deception, and I feel like a lot of teams do this. Uh, so the defense doesn't know what com- what's coming when you're running those five sets uh, for each guy. So I'm a big believer in that. When it comes to introducing those and teaching and maybe even repping those in in practice, do you have any suggestions? I I would start 
uh, once you figure out what you're going to run, instead of just throwing in the set, I would practice those actions and make sure the screening angles are what you want them. So like if you're setting a wide pin down, make sure they're setting that correctly. And I would, obviously you're gonna teach your shooter how to wait for the screen, how to use the screen. I would teach the actions first. So say that's one action, wide pin downs in the action, I'll teach that. Uh, say a cross screens in the action, I'm gonna teach how to, you know, which way, they you want to go over or under the cross screen those are all little things that kind of matter and uh, I'm going to practice those actions and that's kind of over the summer you're practicing pin downs you're practicing coming off floppy stuff like that you're practicing cross screens uh, you're practicing shaking up off of pick and roll you're doing all those little things uh, over the summer and then those things are key and then when you go to throw in your offense when you're explaining it be like we worked on this stuff all summer of how the timing of stuff, the screening angles, uh, the reads, uh, working on all those different things, that definitely helps. Do you all there at UCF give players a playbook? Yeah, so we'll give a playbook with uh, on paper, um, and then we'll do like a video playbook so they can see the plays. And all that stuff is done beforehand. Uh, what we try to do is once we know what we're going to run, uh, our grad managers and maybe some of our players uh, with if they have time in their hours uh, will run the sets and video them. so when we send them out to the players they can kind of already have an ideal and envision them running it but a big thing is if obviously if we were to take a set from somebody like say we take uh, the Pacers running a horn set, say we really like it, we're going to put it in. We'll make sure to show our players that set so they can envision themselves being Oladipo or Miles Turner or, whoever, or whoever's in that offense. They can envision themselves in that same spot. Do you all introduce all those at the beginning of the year or is Coach spacing those out and spreading those out over the course of the season? Uh, we try to do that in the summertime. So they, they come into practice at the beginning of the year knowing the playbook. That's that's the goal, yeah. That's the goal. And obviously sometimes you may see something you like in fall practice, but the plan is to show them all that in the summer. So when we do get to fall practice, what we can do is then record them running it and then show them themselves. And you, uh, once we do that, then they've kind of already seen it. And they've seen other people running it. Now they can see themselves running it. And obviously, once you get to that point, repetition is kind of key. And that's when you're coaching the timing, the angles of the screen, the reads, all that kind of different stuff. Let's move to the games now. And you've touched on this a little bit, depending on what year it is and the players that you have, maybe more sets, maybe just letting them play more. But let's talk about calling plays. Are there factors that influence the decision of when you're running a certain play at any given time. And I know for for a lot of coaches, it'll still be obvious and they'll say, well, yeah, you run one out of a timeout or you run one, obviously, when the ball goes out of bounds on an in, in line. But like what other things are influencing what play you're calling and what you're using? Yeah, so I think a big thing is scouting. Watching that team play, obviously, I'm a big do a lot of the video, I'm all video. So I, I watch the team play almost every game. 
and I have a notebook uh, where I keep different ideals and thoughts of, you know, what makes sense for us to run that I'll share with Coach Dawkins. Uh, I don't know if he looks at it. I think he does. But, you know, just ideals that I see. So a big thing is scouting. So maybe it's a time frame of the game where you've seen them give up a backdoor uh, within the game where somebody maybe see one of their players really vulnerable to give up backdoors. Maybe you run something like that, like a quick hitter or special. Uh, outside of that, you're studying the players you're playing against weaknesses, whether they're slow laterally or they're not very good on cross screens. They can't really lock and trail very good uh, with shooters. Uh, you're kind of studying all that and putting in a game plan for that certain game uh, where you want to try to pick on their defense. And I'm a big believer, and this not saying that we do this. Uh, this is just my philosophy. If an action's working, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to it until you can kind of stop it. So that's kind of my philosophy. And obviously, there's different wrinkles and stuff that you can throw in. But if you're having trouble on something, why go away from it? If you're scoring the ball, so yeah, I think that's 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 kind of my philosophy. In addition to um, maybe some of the things that you've talked about here. What are some actions that you've seen that give defenses really trouble? It changes kind of year to year almost, really. You know, what I've seen uh, this last year, probably I thought people were in the Iverson sets a lot this year, and I think it kind of gave teams problems. Um, Iverson, um, try to talk it out to you. So you got the, the two, you got one four high. Uh, the two guards, one loops over the top, one loops over the bottom, and uh, they swing it to one of the guards, and they go into kind of a double drag look, but the the uh, two guys on the elbows kind of go into double drag uh, with the ball handler, and your first guy's going to slip uh, to the corner, and the next guy's going to set it, set the ball screen on that side pick and roll, and he's going to come off, and that first big that slip is going to shake up, and the other big that just said it's going to roll. I thought that was an action that kind of gave teams problems last year. Um, that's just a set. Um, obviously, a lot of a lot of teams are really vulnerable with backdoors. You see every team get backdoored, really. Uh, it's hard not to. You know, that's just kind of a personnel thing. A lot of guys just get kind of caught up in the game, and you get backdoored because you're not paying attention um, or you're not on the proper help side. So those things obviously are key but do you see much like false action that ends up like you said lulling a defender to sleep and then the, they hit you with a back door or something like that yeah a lot of a lot of great stuff is the false action stuff where one stuff's pushed on one side and they're kind of set a stagger on the opposite side not to not to even get anything but they're just running a two-man game uh they're putting their two best players in position to kind of do what they want to do and a lot of defenses they just kind of have brain farts where they are not in help side and they're over there guarding something that doesn't even matter. And uh, that's, yeah, that's a good action. I'd, I'd say too, what gives a lot of teams problem is misdirection stuff where the guy's dribbling over and you think a guy's about to shoot out to the ball side and then somebody shoots out on the weak side and it's just kind of, it just kind of hits you like that. Houston's really good at running stuff like that stuff like that really gives you problems and then obviously 
teams that really move the ball, like I said, that have guys with that kind of capability that can set like six six different actions per set and can really score late in the shot clock and move it side to side. That's so hard to guard. A good team for that would be Watch Penn, University of Penn, obviously Princeton. Uh, teams like that can really give you problems if you're not used to it. Uh, not many te- not many guys want to guard for 25 seconds or 20 seconds, so it's it's definitely tough. I'll use this moment to for a shameless plug. I wrote a couple articles for Fast Model last year that I'll link down in the description. One of them was what I call multiple actions, which you've described those, and then the other one is what I call consecutive actions. You described that one as well, but you you talk a lot about the multiple actions where you've got something like, let's say, a ball screen happening on one side of the floor mm-hmm. and a stagger happening on the other, and you're occupying the help defense that they can't. Mm-hmm. Maybe on just a simple ball screen, they roll to the basket, but guys are so busy guarding the stagger on the other side that nobody's there to take away the roll guy. Exactly. And then the consecutive action is what you describe with the Iverson. The guy comes over the top, and as soon as they've just defended chasing guys over the top that's one action they have to catch and immediately guard another action immediate right after that consecutively and then you actually described a third one that they have to guard and by that time defenses aren't talking and they're just kind of spinning around Um, even asking you in that context for those consecutive actions something happens right away another one that I think of is like when you go maybe go dribble handoff to somebody and that dribble handoff while you're dribbling let's say I'm dribbling towards you our big guy is coming up to as soon as you catch it has to is setting a ball screen. And now mm-hmm. the defense has to guard the handoff to a ball screen. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else like that? Like maybe combining those actions that you've seen that have been effective? Yeah. I mean, you could keep that in kind of a false, we're talking about false actions. So yeah, of course, obviously you can do this in transition or, and as I said, obviously dribble into the corner and handing it off and that big man meets you. Uh, while you have on the other side of the court your four-man wide pinning for a shooter in the corner. It occupies that help side, but also you may even be able to hit that shooter. But what you want what, what you want to happen is the biggest, biggest thing in that action is the guy that has the ball off the DHO, he needs to attack the nail. And what that'll do is that'll bring that defender. Obviously, your top help side, you should be on that nail in that situation. So obviously if he's later, he's not there. If he attacks the nail, he could have a layup. If that defender is there on the nail, that means that shooter is going to probably come off wide open. So that's one false action. A lot of teams use that kind of DHO into the ball screen and transition uh, as like a quick hitter three late game. Uh, It's a really good action to get a quick three off. And a lot of times in that, in that same action, what happens if you run that a lot, you can do a lot of stuff off of it. But if you run that a couple times in the game, what you can do is have that PG that originally comes down the handoff to the corner, uh, have that big sprint up, and you're going to act like you hand it off, and you're just going to turn the corner. A lot of times you get a layup off of it. Uh, it's a fake, kind of a fake DHO, but hold your dribble, and uh, you kind of just turn the corner and you get a quick layup. In addition to the coaches that you've already mentioned, for those that want to go and kind of research this a little bit more, who would you suggest either teams, coaches, or actions that they should go and watch? Yeah, I think obviously if you want to watch us, uh, we run some really good stuff, uh, UCF. 
I want to try to give you guys some guys outside of our league. I'll give you some in our league. Uh, obviously, Houston. I really love Kelvin Sampson stuff. Runs some really good stuff. Uh, Penny Hardaway runs some really good stuff on Memphis. Those two right there, you know, they they're really good at running stuff. Penny Hardaway's zone package is unbelievable. They run some really good quick hitters. Outside of our league, uh, I'm trying to think who I really enjoyed this year. Obviously, if you have those type of players to run like Penn's offense, they're interesting to watch. Uh, if you want a fast-paced team, Pepperdine was good. I'm just thinking of teams we played this year. Pepperdine was really fast, played a up-tempo. They got the shot off quick. They run some really good stuff. If you have a really good point guard, check out uh, Charleston, College of Charleston. Uh, if you got a scoring point, they have a kid named Grant Reeler, uh, who's really good. I think he probably averaged over 20 this year. Uh, if you have a scoring point, check them out. Some of the best X's and O's I saw this year. I really enjoyed St. Mary's stuff. They run some really good actions. St. Mary's, uh, enjoyed Gonzaga's stuff. Um, I watched some Stetson this year. My former boss uh, play, or coaches at Stetson. He runs some really good actions. He's got Brendan Sir uh, on the bench as an assistant and Adam Williams as an assistant. And they run a lot of NBA stuff and they run, they do a really good job of spacing and timing and all that stuff they're really good at that kind of stuff so um those are just off the top of my head right now but they're definitely worth taking a look at kind of finishing up here uh, there's a lot of younger coaches who listen to this and many of them even aspire to be on a part of a staff like you are what suggestions would you have for them you know everybody's path is going to be different um you can't get caught up on other people's paths whether you think oh they played college basketball so they have a better shot the the thing that's going to matter is you got to work your tail off and you got to prove every day that you know that you should be hired and you got to have that mindset uh you got to have that confidence and every day you know if you're a young guy should be your interview uh if you're a manager or a grad manager you should treat every day as an interview and it should be one of those things where you have that mindset that you're willing to outwork anybody. And uh, along the way, a uh, big thing is gaining trust from those coaches. So when you do get a project, uh, do that project extremely well. Make sure everything's correct. Triple check it. Have somebody else check it. Uh, you want every detail to be absolutely perfect. Uh, when you do that, what they're going to do is they're going to come back and ask you for more stuff. So you're going to gain trust on different things. Another thing in the summer, write a lot of letters, work camps, do as much as you can to kind of network, go to the Final Four, uh, little things like that. Uh, you know, now with social media, it's really easy to DM people, uh, DM a coach, you know, just little things like that will help your chances. But, you know, if you're a manager, you're in a really good spot because you already have an in. So just find ways to stand out. Best place for people to connect with you and network a little bit would be? I'd say probably shoot me a, a DM on Twitter. And uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me from there. Obviously, I'll give you my cell phone number. Um, email's tough nowadays because you get so many emails per day. So I'd say probably Twitter would probably be best uh, at J-A-M-M-E-R-2233. 
And uh, if, you, if you DM me, uh, it may take, may take me a couple of days, but I'll definitely get back to you. That's Jacob Ammerman of the UCF Knights. Jacob, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.